This past week, I heard this loud pop on the window in the kitchen. I looked, and by the way, we have two dogs and a cat. So usually something like this is from one of them. I looked out and saw a bird that was on the ground uh, beneath the window. So I went out to see uh, if it was alive. I mean, it didn't look like it was moving. And uh, as I looked at it, I noticed it, it wasn't moving. It just had this look on its face. Its beak was open. <laughs> and uh, so I took, put it in my hand and I laid my other hand on it and prayed for its healing, feeling a bit like St. Francis. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the bird didn't seem to really, you know, know any difference, but I put it back on the ground and, and I thought, well, you know, I, I probably just need to leave it alone for a little while. So I went inside until I could uh, check on it again. And it was disturbing to see it like that. And, and I really worried. It was a little bitty bird. I worried about what would happen to it if it uh, could never fly again. I mean, it was just kind of easy pickings for a hawk or a cat or something else that came along. I mean, there's just no way that it could fly with only one wing. And I thought those wings were damaged. Both wings are required. As I worked out my sermon uh, this week, I, I thought about that bird. In fact, this morning, another one hit the window. <laughs> and I thought, okay, there's something here, something going on here. Uh, maybe I just need to put a, a piece of paper hanging in the window so they don't hit it. But I thought about all of that as it became clear to me that there are two things that we must have working together to be who God created us to be, for us to soar in life. And those two things you're very familiar with, love for God and love for neighbors. Both are required. Your relationship with God is tied to your relationship with your neighbors. You can't do the first without the second. And you've heard in our scripture lessons this morning all about that. Uh, maybe not in the same way that I phrased it, uh, but that's what they're all about this morning. And I want us to look at these uh, again. You're familiar with Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Those are the Ten Commandments. And by the way, if you look in your book of common prayer in the catechism, you will see uh, in there about the Ten Commandments. Like, what are the Ten Commandments? And it has it, uh, I think it has a, a great way of breaking those out uh, into two different parts. Uh, but God wanted Moses to share with the Israelites uh, what was in those Ten Commandments. This was important. They were not intended to establish some kind of legalistic system where God would just zap somebody every time that they broke one of those commandments. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be like that, but they were intended to draw uh, people closer to God, to draw the Israelites closer to God. They were having a hard time out there in the wilderness. They'd just come up out of Egypt. You know, Moses had led them out across the Red Sea. And uh, so now they are making their way to this promised land. But there are a lot of stops along the way. And, you know, like 40 years worth of stops. <laughs> and they didn't get started on the right foot either. But these commandments are all about relationship. Theirs with God and theirs with their neighbors. 
The first five are how to be in relationship with God, and the last five are about how to be in relationship with their neighbors. They are all intertwined. If you break one, you really break all of them. And think about that for a minute. If you go back and read those, you'll see how true that is. Well, that is what made Jesus so angry uh, as he entered the temple. I was looking at different uh, images yesterday uh, depicting Jesus going in with his whip and all that he was doing there. And it's interesting to see how different artists depict that and maybe the level of rage that is in with each uh, with each uh, image that is shown of him. But he saw the people selling their animals there and the money changers at their tables doing their business rather than God's business. Really, this was to keep foreigners out, people who they didn't want coming in out. Uh, and, and so in order for them to, to come in, they had to go you know, through a lot of different obstacles to get there, sell an animal uh, so that they could go in and, and have that as a sacrifice to God. As John described, Jesus made a whip. And so this was kind of a premeditated deal. Like he fashions himself a whip and he's saying, and this is going to be a great moment to display what I am angry about and what God is angry about. And so he goes in with great zeal, cracking that whip. And he began cracking it and turning over tables as he shouted for the people to get their things out and to stop making their father's house a marketplace. Was Jesus anti-business? Was Jesus a communist? No, but he was anti-anything that was keeping the poor and the powerless people from accessing God and the temple. His rage was aimed at those who had missed the point of what it meant to love God by their failure to love their neighbors. Maybe some of those people thought it was foolishness to follow God's commandments, God's ways for them in the world. There were some who had differing opinions on what they ought to do, that they should violently uh, attempt to overthrow the Roman government and to finally be free and, and to be the Israel that God always wanted them to be. And of course, Jesus had a very different way and a very different approach. Paul had thought at one point in his life uh, in the same way. He had some very different views about what it meant to be uh, in God's uh, kingdom in the world. And he must have known that, that others were missing the same point as well. As he writes to the, the church at Corinth, as he writes about the crucified, and he writes about the foolishness of God's way. And at first we think, wait, is Paul saying God's way is foolish? Uh, but he is saying something very different. Some within their church at Corinth, and by the way, this was a messed up church. I mean, there, there was uh, all, uh, stuff I can't really even say in here with mixed, a mixed audience. They, you know, if we ever think that our church is messed up, and thank God we've never been like that. Um, but if you ever think that your church is messed up, go and, and study a little bit about the church at Corinth. They had all kinds of problems. And uh, some within their, their church and their community considered them foolish for following in Jesus' ways, <clears throat> excuse me, and for their, their life of self-denial. If you remember last week, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, 
Deny yourself and follow me. Come and do what I'm doing in the world. And so this was a difficult life. And some thought that they were just crazy. These crazy Christ followers who are living in this way, that's foolishness. And for loving the poor and the marginalized in their community there in Corinth. The Christians were the only ones who would go out and take care of people with leprosy, people who were dying in the streets. No one else seemed to care for them, but the Christians would. In fact, uh, that's been documented, documented in history of people noticing these Christ people having such love for one another and for others. And so uh, Paul writes to them, for Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So what does all of this have to do with us today? Everything. Especially as we are in this season of Lent and as we examine ourselves and how we're doing with God. As you continue in Lent, be focused on your relationship with God. I hope that you are. I hope that you're staying in Scripture every day, that you're having a time blocked out in your day for prayer or taking time throughout the day as you do the things that you have to do, that you would make those prayers to God. This past uh, Wednesday in our Lent study, Karen uh, McDonald was teaching uh, the Lent study about the different kinds of prayer and the seven different kinds of prayer that we find in the Book of Common Prayer. And we can do those at any time, anywhere. But I hope that you will... Focus not only on your relationship with God, but your neighbor. And to do so in the following ways. First, renew your commitment to your relationship with God by loving him and your neighbor. Make that commitment again today. If you blew it this past week, this is a great time to start over. You get a, a do-over with God. And to take a different trek as you go into this week. And if you've been seeing those things, loving God and loving neighbor as separate, then stop. Hear from God who spoke so clearly to Moses on Mount Sinai that you can't love God without loving your neighbors. And I know neighbors are not always lovable, are they? <laughs> Even neighbors within your own household. Now, I'm not making a testimony about my own household. <laughs> Because uh, we just love each other all the time. Can you imagine? But to really focus and to hear from the God who spoke those commandments. I wonder how is this going in your life right now? Is there someone or some kind of person that you aren't loving right now? Or is there someone you may be neglecting? Someone who really needs something and you're neglecting them. Realize that you aren't loving God if you aren't loving them. 
for God is in them. This is where those commandments come back together uh, to uh, recognize that we are to love God and we are to love our neighbor because God is in our neighbor. We are all made in the image of God. And so if you're not loving your neighbor, you're not loving the God who is in them. Look again at those commandments and see how timeless and true they are for you. You can find them, again, divided out in your book of common prayer. Second, remove the barriers you've made that keep you and your neighbors from God. Think of it as asking Jesus to enter your temple this week, to turn over the tables that you have made to keep you focused on the wrong things in life and thus loving yourself far more than you are loving God. And you might ask him to crack his whip. Uh, Maybe you won't do that, but but you might. (laughs) To crack his whip at any ways that you aren't helping others access God and what he has for them. Third, be a fool for Christ. Accept the label of foolishness. Some people are just going to say, you are a fool for trying to help those people. You are a fool for trying to be peaceful in a violent world. Recognize that your life of following Jesus will stand out in a world where people define success and happiness in ways that are completely opposite to the life of love, justice, peace, and selflessness. And remember that when people say that you are weak and foolish, that God's foolishness is greater than the world's wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than the world's. When I went back to check on the little bird outside my window, I didn't see it. It must have just been so stunned from hitting that window so hard that it it forgot how to fly, even for just a minute or so. But it came too. And it got both wings working again to get back to being what God had made it to be. Maybe you and I can identify with that bird being shaken up in the world, maybe even being a little bit stunned by the things that you've either run into or that have run into you and forgetting how to be in this world. As we continue in Lent, may we come to and and come to our senses and, and soar by getting our love for God and our love for our neighbor working together again. Amen.